Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we'll explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, business, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders' Council of the Legal Services Corporation. Hello and welcome to Talk Justice. I'm your host, Jason Taché. Today we're talking about criminal records, or at least how to get rid of them. In the U.S., somewhere between 70 to 100 million people have a criminal record, or about a third of the population. This isn't just those with a conviction, but those who were tried and not convicted, or those arrested and never tried at all. For those with a criminal record, which inordinately impacts black and brown communities, jobs, professional licensing, housing, and government benefits can be kept out of reach. While legal aid helps many navigate the sometimes Kafkaesque process required to clear a record, the problem is larger than their capacity. Now, technology and policy are changing both how these records impact people's lives and how government can better operate, giving people a second chance. To get a better sense of the cutting edge of criminal record clearing and its limitations, I'm joined by three guests. Sarah Logason is an associate professor at Rutgers University School of Criminal Justice and the author of Digital Punishment, Privacy, Stigma, and the Harms of Data-Driven Criminal Justice. Yusuf Kassim is the CEO and co-founder of Easy Expunctions, a technology company. And Noella Sudbury is the CEO of the Raza Benefit Corporation and founder of Clean Slate Utah, a nonprofit. Thank you all for being with us. Now, Yusuf, I wanted to start with you. In the intro, I gave a couple of different terms. Uh, and there's other legal terms floating out there. So for a little bit of table setting, help me get these things sorted. When we're talking about rec- record clearing, there's expungement, expunction, sealing, pardons. What do all of these terms mean? That's a good question, Jason. Um, you know, expunctions, expungements, uh, record sealing, vacating, um, you know, non-disclosures. These are terms that you'll hear when folks are seeking uh, legal remedy. Uh, to clear their criminal records. And so expunctions uh, or expungements are a state law creature. Uh, You know, so it's going to vary state by state. Sometimes the language will vary state by state. Essentially, you're acquiring two main rights. One is the right to deny that that arrest ever occurred. And two is the right to prohibit possession or distribution of that information by others. And so you know, uh, for an expunction, typically uh, that's an obliteration of the record. And so the individual uh, will have the right to deny nobody, including the government, would have a right to possess that information. When we're talking about sealing a record, uh, the individual often will still have that same right to deny. And the public generally will uh, not be able to possess or distribute that information. But uh, the the particular state government may have limited access uh, to that information. And so, um, but essentially, uh, you know, different flavors to the same uh, objective, which is uh, trying to achieve a legal remedy and a judge signed order that would provide the right to deny and the right to prohibit others from possessing or distributing that information. Okay, and so Noella, we have a sense of what, what these terms mean, but what does it look like for people to access these remedies that Yusuf just defined for us? Like, what's the status quo look like? I was looking in preparation for the show. Uh, Michigan has about a 10% uptake. So about 10% of people with criminal records actually ever go and get their record expunged. 
in your home state of Utah, the number is something more like 0.25%, like a quarter of a percent of people with an expungement actually file for an expungement, a number that was so low that I didn't believe it the first time I did the math. So like, uh, what is happening here? Why are these numbers so low? What's standing in people's ways uh, to, to either get sealed or expunged? Sure. So whether someone can expunge their record or seal their record uh, is governed by state law. And each state has set up statutes, their own rules to determine who's eligible for that. Uh, similarly, most states have what's called a petition-based or a court-based process that people have to go to through in order to get their records cleared. These percentages are common across states. The problem is that the petition-based process is costly, it's complicated. Most people need a lawyer to get through the process. Most people can't afford a lawyer. Um, and so that's why you're seeing these super low uptake rates all across states is because even though there is that legal remedy available, um, most states don't have a centralized process um, and it's very, very difficult and expensive to get through. Okay, so these options are out there. It's a challenge to get them. And Sarah, to bring you into this conversation, uh, I talked about in the intro that people have these records. There's these harms that are created about them that limit people's access to, to benefits or to housing or whatever the case may be. It also creates a, an internet trail around it. And I wanted to get your perspective of like, where is this data? Like, where does it live and how is it getting out? Right. Cause the data is only harmful if it's in public and it's accessible. And so I'm curious to what is happening I think expungement has really laid bare the reality that there's no such thing as a single criminal record for a person. So expungement is um, a court process. And so the court record is sort of the first piece of data that's impacted by an expungement. But we have a very segmented criminal legal system. So police maintain records, jails maintain records, um, municipal courts, state courts, all these sort of siloed processes are happening. And so, you know, when an expungement order is signed by a judge or a batch of expungement orders um, in an automatic or automated setting, you know, each of these other agencies has to be notified and they have to develop their own internal mechanisms for complying with these orders and updating their data. And um, that's a large task for agencies that are not in the business of doing data, right? They're, um, they're running a correctional facility or they're policing. And so it's taken a lot of maneuvering and, and staffing changes to be able to effectively deal with just the government version of the records. And then, of course, we have the private sector version. And so because these records are maintained by government agencies, by and large, they're considered public record. And this is sort of the spirit of transparency laws that we should be able to watchdog the police. We want to know who's being arrested. We don't want secret prosecutions. But in the digital age, you know, that sort of... Um, emphasis on sunshine for government has really kind of been reversed. And we're really seeing a lot more information about the people who are arrested or detained or charged by the government rather than the government itself. And so, you know, not only are these public records, they're really, really cheap and, and still a simultaneously valuable data source for data brokers because they contain lots of personal identifiers like people's height, weight, birth date, home address, um, and then, you know, these data brokers can leverage public access laws to get large caches of data used for background checking, for reputation websites, and just as clickbait because, you know, 
criminal justice is very, um, you know, it's valuable information in the U.S. We've become very reliant on sort of wanting to background check everybody and everything. And so uh, this has become quite a data commodity. So these pose, you know, obstacles for expungement, but, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it. There's there's certainly policy solutions that can help uh, lessen some of these these data related issues. Perfect setup for my transition, because I want to hear about uh, the work that uh, Yusuf and uh, Noel have been working on specifically. And Yusuf, I'll start with you. You run this company, Easy Expunctions. You're talking about, we're, we heard from Noel about these challenges that people have in getting their expungement. What is it that you are offering as a product and how is it helping get over those hurdles that Noella was talking about? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it is a difficult process. Um, I'm a licensed attorney here in Texas, but before I was an attorney, um, I had been through the expunction process for myself. And so I learned uh, firsthand how difficult of a process it was. Couldn't afford an attorney at the time, um, you know, but the feeling I had when I left the courthouse was unforgettable. Um, I had been able to get some closure on an issue that had been holding me back. Um, and I wanted to deliver the same uh, to others. And so went to law school, finished, still love the idea. And uh, we started building out a software platform that allows individuals to uh, run a background check on themselves, uh, determine if, uh, first of all, what's on their record, and then from there, programmatically determine whether they're eligible um, for expunction um, or non-disclosure. You know, here in Texas, um, those are the two you know legal remedies that are available. And then uh, guiding them through a process if they are eligible. So providing a low-cost solution, we you know generate all the relevant legal documents. Uh, we'll file them for the individual electronically. We're empowering the individual to represent themselves pro se. And so we're not a law firm. We are, you know, a technology company, but we want to make sure that, you know, the customer um, is an informed and empowered pro se litigant. And so taking away a lot of the guesswork, uh, making sure that we're notifying the relevant agencies, like, you know, Sarah had mentioned, there are a variety of agencies that will create records based on the transactions that an individual has with the criminal justice system, you know, from the beginning at the arrest to getting taken to the jail, to having a prosecutor, um, you know, begin uh, filing charges, and then ultimately that court record. And so we'll navigate, um, help navigate the individual to achieve that judge signed order. And so once they've done that, uh, we'll send notice out to hundreds of different data companies, uh, data brokers, um, mugshot websites, folks that traffic in this type of information so we can help an individual, you know, achieve those two main rights, you know, the right to deny that the arrest ever occurred, right to prohibit others from possessing or distributing, but making sure that they're actually able to, um, you know, get the outcome that they were looking for, which is, you know, not having this record floating around. You know, one thing that we introduced that was also uh, unique was complete consumer protections. And so 100% money back guarantee um, on all of our products that includes the filing fees to the court, you know, zero interest payment plans for all of our customers. And so we're in the business of removing barriers. You know, we're trying to help people achieve within the existing, you know, uh, system that's in place today. Um, but we want to make sure that if there are individuals that we can't help because the statutes, the way they're written today, in most instances, 
you know, injustice aside, a certain outcome can be expected. And so we help ensure that outcome for individuals. Right. And so this is a, a way to automate some of this process, especially for those that can't uh, afford an attorney or, or get a legal aid attorney. And from coming from the market side, Noel, you have been doing a lot of work on the government side. You worked for uh, Clean Slate Utah, uh, which I, I want to hear more about because there's this movement right now in the United States in multiple jurisdictions of this thing called Clean Slate. So I'd love for you to tell us, you know, what is Clean Slate? What is happening? And what were you able to accomplish in your state of Utah? Sure. So across the country, you're seeing expungement super active legislatively. Um, in the first half of 2021 alone, 25 states passed 50 different expungement laws. And as you mentioned, a component of these policies is automatic clearance or clean slate laws. Pennsylvania was the first state in the country to have a clean slate law. And I came to this work um, as a policy advisor for Salt Lake County Mayor uh, Ben McAdams. And I, as I was serving in this capacity, um, you mentioned Utah's low expungement uh, uptake rate. Uh, we wanted to do something together uh, to get people back into the workforce. So our journey in Utah actually started with jobs. I got a phone call from the Department of Workforce Services who said all of these people are coming into these uh, metro centers all across the state looking for work. And what I see is able, capable, hardworking people who have a gap in their resume because of the criminal justice system, but all the employer sees is the record. And it's tragic. Utah has one of the best economies in the nation. What can we do to work together? And so we started um, with expungement clinics, and I think clinics are great. Um, and people would come out, hundreds and hundreds of people across the state would come out for these clinics, and we would have to turn hundreds away. And so that made me wonder, okay, how many people in Utah even have a record? This is so crazy that people are driving from the top of the state, from the bottom of the state to attend these clinics. And that's when I learned that there's over 800,000 people in the state of Utah with a record. Well, at these clinics, we were able to serve 100, 200 people. And I just realized we're never going to get out of this um, through clinics. And so I started Googling, you know, innovative expungement options. And that's how I learned about Pennsylvania's bill um, to automate the process. So what is Clean Slate? The idea of clean slate is this, as Sarah mentioned, um, the government ha has all of the records, all of the information that it needs to know who's eligible to clear their record. It lives in court records, it lives in public safety records, and then each state has a statute governing uh, what you can get off your record. And so the question for policymakers for clean slate was, um, can we get comfortable that if a person has remained crime-free for a period of time, that maybe we have this complicated process that's not needed. And instead, we can just write computer code to analyze government records to determine who's eligible to clear their record. And then the government can do it automatically. Um, the benefit of this is the individual doesn't have to do anything. Um, the burden is on the government to identify their eligibility, and then it just drops off their record if a person meets the criteria. So Utah um, was able to pass a clean slate law unanimously in 2019. 
I had the great privilege alongside many others in Utah of leading that effort. And since Utah passed its law, uh, there are now nine clean slate laws, I believe, across the country with Colorado and Oklahoma uh, just passing clean slate laws just a couple months ago. Great. And Yusuf, I want to jump back to you real quick before I get a kind of larger scope ecosystem picture from Sarah. But I'm, I'm curious, uh, with clean slate happening in many states and creating this automated process, taking down the hurdles that we've been talking about in a place with clean, like someone that can take benefit of clean slate uh, doesn't need a program or uh, a service like yours, right? So I'm curious, like, do you see clean slate as a threat to the business model or, or do you see this as something complementary to what you're doing? You know, I, I look at it as complementary and I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, for us, uh, the goal has always been to help people achieve an expunction. Um, we recognize that within the existing system, uh, it was very difficult for people to achieve that. And so from the very beginning, we've wanted to provide a completely consumer protected solution at a low cost to the you know, existing market to help people achieve that. Um, we got a lot of pushback you know, from the beginning, you know, from attorneys and from others. Um, and, you know, part of the argument that we received was this isn't something that can be automated. And so we look at, you know, the proliferation of uh, clean slate laws across the country as legitimization of that concept. The original idea of automating, you know, pro using, you know, a computer program to determine who's eligible and who isn't. And so, um, we look at it as complementary. Uh, we look at it as legitimization of this idea. We certainly value and support um, the idea of getting more and more folks um, a second chance. And uh, we think it also could present an opportunity for us to work with, you know, some of these more progressive states uh, to implement um, some of these laws. And so over the years, we've, you know, certainly learned a lot about, you know, how to achieve an expunction for individuals you know, either through this court process or even in some of the aftercare, you know, with, with an expunction. And so we'd love to, you know, work with some of these jurisdictions that have already expressed uh, receptiveness um, to this concept uh, to be able to do it correctly. And so there's no expunction button today. And so, you know, this information exists in a variety of databases. And so we'd love to work with folks to get closer and closer to that expunction button. Great. And so Sarah, kind of the theme between both Noella and, and Yusuf's work is uh, efficiency, taking down hurdles for folks, either from the government perspective or from the market perspective. I'm curious. So I have two questions. I'll start with the ecosystem question. Are there other types of projects that you're watching out there that are either complementary to what uh, Yusuf and Noella are talking about, or maybe fall outside of that uh, and are approaching this topic from a different perspective? Yeah, I think one one of the tricky questions about expungement policy is how to pass it in a way that is politically palatable, but still have the ability to impact enough people. And so some of the very early expungement laws um, in the clean slate movement have been, have been quite narrow. So you can have arrests that never led to charges or conviction automatically wiped um, in states where cannabis has been decriminalized or made recreational those sorts of offenses are being um, taken off records. And it's less common for a state to be able to, to implement an automatic solution for more serious records. Um, but this poses a couple of problems. The first is that people have 
lots of stuff on the records. And so you, you may have this really nice clean slate solution for a couple of these minor things, but you know, it's, it's likely that those aren't the things that are actually um, holding you back from employment or, or safe housing. And then there's, um, so you have this kind of like piecemeal problem. And then there's also a racial equity question, which is if people with more serious records are being cut out of clean slate or out of um, automated expungement, you know, that is often a reflection of police and prosecutorial discretion that from 10, 20 years ago or racially biased policymaking around sentencing or the criminalization of certain offenses or the overpolice in certain neighborhoods. So there's some new research coming out from Berkeley um, that's showing in California some of these automatic expungement laws are may have a consequence of expanding racial disparities in the criminal legal system. So I think, you know, that's sort of um, the narrowness question is not only how many people are being impacted, but how many people um, of what groups are going to be impacted in different ways. So, you know, I think that's um, a trick that. Uh, it's tricky to figure out because you want the first clean slate bill to pass. And then as Pennsylvania has done, you, you take that basis and you keep expanding it to more types of offenses, get the Pennsylvania just got rid of fines and fees. So I think the one of the kind of incrementalist approach is great um, for lots of reasons. Uh, New Jersey has a really interesting model and it gets a little confusing because it's also called clean slate, but it is not clean slate in the way that we think about it in Utah and Pennsylvania. And what that means is if, if you've been 10 years without a new arrest, your entire record will be expunged. Even if you are ineligible for petition-based expungements because you have too many misdemeanors or too many felonies on your record. And so this is an interesting state scenario where you have like um, automated expungement for cannabis, you have petition-based expungement for a certain number of misdemeanors and a certain number of felonies. And now you have this new 10-year clean slate remedy um, for people who fall outside of that category. And uh, uh, the state just convened a task force to think about how to automate that 10-year process. So um, it hasn't happened yet, but the the legislation is designed to move into automating that for people after 10 years. So I think there's like all sorts of different legislative approaches here. Um, you know, it gets back to the original question of like, we have 10 different terms to talk about some of the same things and, and we're in just very, very early stages. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, the support, I think I'm, I'm involved with the research team right now and we're interviewing people who have received an automatic expungement and people who are um, implementing the policy at local jails and the courthouse. And um, the last lingering question is sort of this notice question. So people um, may have had part of the record sealed and, and they don't know it. And there's practical and privacy reasons for not wanting to notify people about an expungement. But, you know, I, we've been interviewing people that say, well, I don't know. Can you tell me if I've had something expunged? And, and so states are trying to figure out ways where you can get copy of an expungement order. So in Pennsylvania, when there are these huge batch of orders, you can't necessarily get one just for yourself that you can then give um, with working with someone like Yusuf's company or, or on your own sending it to a background check company. So the notice question is sort of um, still a, an open debate. I was curious about the notice question itself, because you can have an expungement, but if you don't know you have an expungement, then you don't know to not check the box on your job application that says, have you been arrested? Noella, I'm, I'm curious, how is Utah thinking about this? Uh, I know the law is still new, implementation is still going on. How are you handling notice? Yeah, so this is where RASA really comes in. So as Utah's clean slate law went into effect, Ours does not have a direct notification requirement, meaning the individual will not receive any notice. 
most of the clean slate laws are structured this way. And so what RASA is doing in Utah is um, designing an eligibility app that will allow an individual to put in their name and date of birth. Um, and we will tell individuals what's on their record and what is eligible for expungement automatically under the petition-based process um, in the future because someone's in a waiting period or not eligible. And this is really important because um, while clean slate laws are extremely impactful, I believe, um, close to half a million Utahns will have at least one offense cleared automatically from their record. Uh, many, many Utahns, and this is true across the nation, will only benefit from partial clearance, as Sarah was describing, or may have more serious offenses that are not uh, eligible for automatic clearance. And uh, most people that I talk to who have records, if they've been involved in the criminal justice system more than one or two offenses, they often remember that they had criminal justice system involvement, but they don't remember exactly what was on their record, um, what the dates were, what the offenses were named. And unfortunately, Utah system and most other systems require you to know that information in order to determine if you're eligible. And so it can just feel really overwhelming um, to even figure out if you are someone who can benefit from the process. And in some ways, automatic clearance adds this additional layer of analysis. And so rather than ask the person, hey, what's on your record? Um, what our mobile application does is allow um, a person to just know. We are using technology yet again to provide real-time information to the person with a record so they know where they stand. They know whether they're eligible for automatic clearance um, or whether they have to go through a court-based process uh, in order to get relief. So I think in terms of notice, um, being statewide, we're a big state, uh, lots of urban areas, lots of rural areas, we can reach everyone and really help people at scale in the same way that we're doing with a clean slate law. One of the things you brought up earlier, Sarah, and, and this is something I spend a lot of time about working with courts primarily and trying to improve data infrastructure, but at the same time, want to be able to protect people's privacy. Uh, you pointed out earlier, this is really a discussion around public access versus individual privacy. And so I, I think in the intro, I talked about this double-edged sword, and this is definitely it. As courts and the rest of the justice system continues to digitize, more of this data is going to be created, uh, going back to your point about there being multiple records in the system. And so I'm curious, like, where is the answer here? When we have sunshine laws, we have public records laws, uh, where this information is supposed to be public, to your point, this information is used to uh, make sure that prosecutions and policing are, are happening in a way that the community that those police and prosecutors represent uh, are all in line or as in line as they can be. Um, I'm uh, under the impression that you've looked at other countries and, and how they have handled this issue. And I'm curious if there are things that we should be considering in the United States uh, that we can be learning from, from other jurisdictions, not just looking for examples here in the U.S. Yeah, I think if you you know, but we look to Europe, we have both data privacy. So, so thinking about how data are regulated, personal data, um, that would, that would be very impactful to the sort of private market for criminal records in the United States. Um, and then I think that there's just much more of an emphasis on 
thinking about rehabilitations at the very, very beginning of the criminal legal process um, in other countries like Europe. And so, you know, the best thing we could do in the U.S. is to start treating all types of criminal records like a criminal record, like an arrest record about a person might be currently legally categorized as a, as a police record about police. But in its pragmatic and practical daily use, now it's a record about a person. Um, there's been some really interesting litigation, class action lawsuits about this, where courts have had to take um, a, a state law that governs just the rap sheet, just the person's computerized, centralized criminal history, which, which actually has pretty strong, robust privacy protections in most states. And then look at something like a mugshot and say, well, does that count under this law as a criminal record about a person or is this a public record of, of policing? And judges are starting to, to think about that as a criminal record. So we do have most states do have a pretty strong privacy protection for kind of what we think of as the criminal record, the rap sheet. Um, it's these other bits of information that, that sort of need to be reconsidered in light of their 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 uses now. Um, and then I think, you know, regulating the, the private background check market is really important. Many providers of what look like and feel like and are used as background checks claim that they are not providing background checks. They claim that they're protected by Section 230, that they're aggregating public records, they're not furnishing reports, they're immune from liability, and they're not covered by the Fair Credit Reporting Act. There's a few cases working their way through the um, different circuit courts right now that I think it's going to, we're going to have to really reckon with that question. A lot of business models are going to have to be reconsidered if uh, the Fair Credit Reporting Act can be leveraged again in a much more effective way for the digital age. So alongside the efficiency uh, improvements that Noelle and Yusuf have, have been behind, we need to be looking kind of at the more basic policy changes. So it's not a technology thing. It's not an automation thing. It's going back to the statutes and doing it the old fashioned way, reassigning what a criminal record is and, and maybe creating a, a privacy law at the federal level. Which, uh, uh, forever dream of mine that I will, I will keep hoping. With that, I'd like to thank Sarah, Yusuf, and Noella for being with us today on Talk Justice. For links to what we discussed today, please check out our show notes. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jason Taché, and for everyone here at Talk Justice, thank you for listening. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on this podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.